howdy, everybody. This is Jeff Morton, and of course, my beautiful, wonderful host and friend, Dr. Dina Dye, is joining us this morning. Good morning, Dr. Dina Dye. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful, and uh, <clears throat> I don't have a virus, <clears throat> and Washington State is still here. <laughs> We're yeah. not in martial law well, down here. You're in, yeah, you're at ground zero, so I, I think probably soon they're going to, um, you know, quarantine Washington State, which might not be a bad idea. I don't know. I th sometimes <laughs> think the state has been quarantined since the turn of the century. Uh, anyway. Um, to block out the whole West Coast, you know. No yeah, it, it could happen because the lunacy seems to continue. Uh, yeah, we're not, 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 not making... Uh, light of the fact that there are people that have died from this this uh, flu, um, but I turned off the news. Uh, I think Wednesday, Dina. Yeah, I think you might have seen my post. Yeah, I did. I <laughs> I, did. I'm on uh, coronavirus fatigue, and so I've gone to just uh, I'm you know we've hunkered down. I prepared well in February, so uh, no panic or fear here, and I'm just going to use this time to. You know, really, to finish my book, uh, the Temple Revealed in Noah's Ark. Good, and I, I've, I'm leading a Bible study now. We're going back into the ancient covenant treaty legal systems that the Bible was literally written in and put together through. So uh, that's going to be exciting. Uh, Rico Cortez, Daniel McGurr, and a few others opened that spigot up for me uh, several years ago. And uh, like Rico said the other day on Facebook, he said this book changed his world. Uh, I'm talking about a particular book by Meredith Klein. So we're going to delve into that during the Bible study and just try to understand some of the legal ramifications of which Yeshua or Jesus would have been following kingdom protocol, which is a lot of what we talk about here on Returning to Eden. And, folks, i got to tell you, we're going to shut the uh, coronavirus off and go back to the heart of this program, which is, to return to Eden, to return to the way the writers of the Bible would have been writing the material that we call uh, the scriptures today. And uh, the heart of this program is to show you, again, that mountains don't necessarily mean mountains and seas don't necessarily mean seas and trees don't necessarily mean trees, according to the ancient world. And we have a language in the Bible that's fluent that has to do with kingdom protocol. And so we kind of want to get back to Eden and try to be restored to the way the Father is trying to reveal his kingdom through us in this earth. And uh, which brings me to uh, my guest, our guest today. We've asked Pastor Joe Amon from DeRitter, Louisiana, who has a congregation down there called uh, Out of Ashes Ministries, to join us this morning. Uh, Joe, are you there? Yes, sir. I think so. Good. Well, welcome to right. Return to Eden. We're excited to have you on board. Hey, thank you guys so very, very much. I'm sure I'll say this again at some point, but uh, I don't want to make Dina blush, but uh, and Jeff, you don't blush because you're whatever, northerner, uh, Yankee. Oh, you can, and, you can and, uh, <laughs> but, um, this Black uh, blush. It's, it's, oh, come on. <laughs> I, I still wasn't going to say that, but I'm glad you did. I'm light brown, so yes, I blush. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Uh, I just so, couldn't resist. Oh my gosh, we can't say stuff like that here in the South. I know. Um, you can't. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but uh, yeah, no, thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, this is a huge honor, and I'll I'll talk about that a little bit more. But it's so great. It's an honor to be with Jeff, with you, and and with Dina, you as well. So thank you very very much. Well, before we appreciate that, Joe, and thank you for tuning in because that's kind of how we met. I I was trying to remember preparing for this uh this conversation that we're gonna have, folks. We're gonna be with you for an hour. Uh, I was trying to remember, uh, Joe, I'm just going to call you Joe, not Pastor Joe, if that's okay. No, please, please. Uh, somehow we connected because you were watching, the, listening to the program, and do you remember how we actually got connected? Yeah, I think I, uh, I did a little bit of um, internet detective work when I found Returning to Eden, and I, to be honest, I'm not even sure how I found the podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if it was maybe through Dina's website or uh, somehow. I, I don't know. Information is so readily available. I can't keep track of where everything is. But um, I found you guys, and I just – I think I sent you an email or found you on Facebook or something like that. And uh, then we connected by phone and had like a, I don't know, two-and-a-half-hour conversation. Uh, and I shouted all over my woodworking shop because uh, that's where I was. It was last winter, I think. So it's been a little over a year, or maybe has it been two years no, ago? It's been two years because you years. were here in September. So. Yeah, true, true, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how I found it, but uh, but I did, and I listened to the first, uh, you know, few episodes probably ten times. Uh, I had I had been introduced to the whole concept of the ancient Near East uh, a year or so, a couple years before. Um, but I was still trying to get such a, a handle on the whole concept of Torah. And I, I've been studying Torah now for about, uh, 14 years, 13, 14 years. Um, but I'm the kind of person that takes things really, really slowly on purpose. Um, I don't rush things because, uh, of, of all things, uh, the scriptures, uh, a walk with God, faith, uh, is, is too important to rush in my opinion. And I think we've gotten, we've done the kingdom a lot of damage by rushing uh, our understanding of some things and not just letting it sit. And uh, I have friends that are, you know, been studying a shorter time than I have that's, that actually tell me, well, you should be further along than you are, you know, after this long. And I, it's not a race, guys. Like, you know, relax. We're, we're, I'd rather get it down and, uh, and be able to use the information God's revealing to us than just to say, well, I know it. Let's move on to the next thing. So all that said... Um, uh, I'd heard about ancient Near East studies and those kinds of things. I wasn't sure what to think about it. Didn't know if it was a new fad. I'm kind of allergic to fads in the kingdom. Um, that's fads with a D. And um, so I'm kind of allergic to those things. So I take a while to let things settle out before I jump on a bandwagon. Um, but uh, some great friends uh, of mine, Matt Napper, Matt Vanderells, kind of the Rico Cortez circle. I've gotten to know some of those guys. And I know that they were in it, and I just sat back and watched and just kind of let them, you know, see what was coming out of it, see the fruit that was born out of it. And uh, then I found RTE, and it, this podcast just absolutely launched me into this whole world of ancient Near East studies, honor and shame, uh, covenant, uh, Susan Vassal, uh, you know, uh, garden imagery. Uh, I have been studying the temple with Joe Good for about two years and so this just just dovetailed right in with everything. And I thought the temple opened the Bible up, which it does. Uh, but then this, along with it, is just, I mean, it's an absolute game changer. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of how we met and how this whole thing got started. Dana. What? 
<laughs> I'm speechless. No, I'm really oh, I am too. That's why I said, Danny, go. <laughs> it's a rare thing. Uh, I really, so for me, and you guys all know me, This uh, I so appreciate what Joe is doing, that he's just taken this thing and run with it. Because we do need the next, and sorry for, I mean, this isn't ageism, you know what I'm saying. But in my mind, uh, you know, trying to impart this to the next generation, because we don't want to lose it. And, you know, I'm personally, I'm trying to build a foundation upon which others can build on. That's how it's supposed to work. This isn't my work. This isn't all about me, but it's, it's about the, the generations coming up behind me. Uh, I, I think of where you guys can go with this material. I mean, it's just, I came to the game fairly late. I it was in the 90s. I went back to school to try to finish my uh, bachelor's degree, okay? And I ended up taking a number. I went to um, Assemblies of God, uh, Southwest University in uh, Texas, and I ended up taking a number of courses in the ancient Near East. And I kind of had put it on the shelf, I was fascinated by it. It was really important. It made sense. But when I first was invited into what we call, have called the, the Hebrew Roots Movement, when I was invited in to teach, there was no interest in it whatsoever. So I kind of put it aside because I didn't quite know how to teach it and infuse it in there. But in time, the door opened and, you know, began to do it more and more. So all that said, really appreciate the fact that, you know, ones like you, Joe, are coming up and, and doing such an excellent job and that you have congregations, that, you know, we're not all itinerant teachers out there running around, but now we can build it into the local community, and I think that's key. And for me, um, you know, this all happened to me in the blink of an eye. You know, I've been kind of moseying along in my Christian understanding of the biblical narrative until one day, 2007, it was in June, I was literally shocked into a different understanding of the Bible. And I've, I've tried for 14 years now to articulate that moment because that moment opened this door for me to go back and understand what the Torah was, to look at the Hebrew Scriptures from a different lens, to see different concepts to understand different phraseologies and just the whole language of the Bible changed instantly for me. And I didn't know what I knew that something was different, but I didn't know what it was. And so I started searching, searching out. And of course I, I ended up at the Hebrew roots kind of door and that kind of opened up. I started learning things or hearing things that I understood intrinsically. Whereas before, I had no concept of this information, zero, until that one day. And then as I started learning about the Torah and started looking at the Jewish people and how they understood the Bible, and I started going into this ancient Near East covenant treaty law, legal terminology, and the whole night, the Bible just exploded with information that's always been there, but we have not tapped into it. And so it's a difficult thing to try to have this conversation when you've got a legacy in the in the Western world fomented without any of this material. And that's kind of where we are. So <clears throat> at first I was like gung-ho about all of this. I went through the Torah terrorist days. Uh, <clears throat> I went through all of this stuff to try to understand what was I learning that was so radically different 
than the traditional understanding that we were raised up with in the Christian world. And so, <clears throat> Dina, do you remember when I asked you, you know, let's, let's do a podcast? Because the information you were bringing was in my head. It was in my head. I mean, I connected to you intrinsically. <clears throat> I got to tell you, folks, Dina, I saw Dina about six years ago down in Portland. I know, I've known of her for 14 years from um, uh, God's Learning Channel. But you said something at a, t a talk you were giving at the Love for Israel conference, and it was like, bam, I need to understand what's in this woman's head because she just said something that I know, didn't know prior to June, uh, June 2007. And so this whole relationship blossomed as a result of my understanding what you were saying. And, folks, a lot of people say to me, well, I don't understand what Dina's saying. There's not too much about what Dina says that I don't understand. I get it. And so to have Joe now on the program, Joe's kind of like, uh, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but he's kind of like my mouthpiece because he's saying all the things that I've never been able to articulate in the last 14 years as a pastor with a congregation. And I, I sit and listen to his weekly sermon sermon did i say sermon i said sermon i sit and listen to his shabbat service <clears throat> most saturdays and i'm i'm just stunned because what has been in my core for 14 years pastor joe joe you are actually articulating to a congregation and you're doing it live and i just find that fascinating that um you literally, I can almost say the words coming out of your mouth before you say them because we're so connected in this study and this material. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I, um, I'm not, and Dina, I mentioned this to you, I think, in Orlando at the Temple Conference. Uh, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a reader. I hate to read. It goes against everything in my being <laughs> to, to read. And so I so admire the, the, uh, the hard work, and it is. The hard work of reading a, a $400 college textbook on, you know, Susan Vassal, Vassal Covenant. I mean, like, who does that? You know, who sits out on their porch and, and reads, you know, stuff that's from Akkadian and Sumerian? I mean, and so I appreciate so much that work that, like Dina, you said, laying that foundation. I would have, I would have no information to process. I think, I think some of us as pastors and leaders um, are more, we're not the scholars, we're not the studiers. We're the processors. So in the kind of the chain of how Hashem is done all is doing all this stuff, there are there are those that are that are digging out the material and doing the the archaeological brain work, and, and you know besides the physical, but to dig this stuff out and give it to us so that I'm I see myself as a processor. So I I listen to to what you guys are saying and ladies are saying, and then I have to figure out a way to to eat it, to absorb it, to to mull it around, meditate on it, and then to make it applicable so that I can feed it to whoever God has put in my life uh, to where it can become applicable for them. Because this whole thing is not about information. Right. It's not. It's yeah. not about information. Information is just the vehicle for God to reveal his wisdom. So he reveals that wisdom through the information, but it's not about the information. Um, it has at, at base level for the kingdom to grow, for the kingdom to be effective. And I'm not talking about 
the ministry sphere or layer of the kingdom. I'm talking about everyday people who are just trying to find toilet paper right now. You know, people who are trying to, who are wondering if they have a job to go to. What are they going to do with their kids uh, now that schools are canceled all over the country? Though, for those people that don't spend 12, 14, 16 hours a day listening to Bible nerd stuff, um, what does this stuff mean? And what is the Bible? What is this book we have for those people? Um, because that's the that's the ground zero of the kingdom in my my mind. So um, so like people like you, Dina and Jeff, you guys are absolutely necessary as the springboard. But then there's a group of us, uh, you know, shepherds, pastors, leaders, whatever you want to call us, um, that have to take the grab this thing and make it accessible um, to our people. Because like I said before, it's an absolute uh, game changer, and so uh, I, again, I, I could talk about this all day long. I will, I'll let you guys lead the conversation because I'll just go until forever. Uh, so, I, I'll, well, you you make an important point because uh, what I do is I take the work of scholars because most of them no one will ever read, and there is just dynamic, amazing, you know, information coming from them, but they don't ever connect it. Right. So. To my mind, I'm sort of the bridge then between the world of scholarship but the, and between, you know, two, two people like you who are in congregations teaching it. Because you simply, you're right, one of the things that happens is people put up a wall and they don't want to hear it. And if they don't want to hear it, they're never going to process it. So if their congregational leader is the one who takes the material, processes it, chews it up, and then presents it to them in a palatable way, then then they'll hear it and they won't be, you know, freaking out. So we have multiple layers of how the, quote, information gets infused down. But what your point is well taken because the key in all this is not, in fact, information, but it is wisdom. I, I am just so stuck there because, you know, Walton talks about it, you know, the, the highest value in the ancient world was order, and along with that was wisdom because order produced that. And so we have totally lost all you know sense of wisdom and people need it more than ever before to be able to govern their lives if wisdom was given to Moses you know to be able to in in the Torah to be able to govern his people how much more do people today need that wisdom in order to be able to govern their own lives so really appreciate what you're doing one of the things that we kind of wanted to uh, talk about with you was Sort of how you got here. What, tell us a little bit about your story and how you, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I told Jeff last night. <clears throat> excuse me. That um, uh, I'm I'm not good at talking about myself. So if there's anything I miss, kind of <laughs> kind of pull it out. Um, but I uh, I grew up in uh, South Louisiana, Cajun country, which. Uh, if, People listening all over the world probably have no idea what that means, but um, a small subset, a cultural subset here in South Louisiana um, that uh, uh, came out of a lot of adversity. Um, we got kicked out of Canada, you know, villages burned and all that kind of Sorry. stuff. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and He's Canadian, so, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, mo the largest majority, some went back to France, some came to Louisiana, and um, it was basically moved into the swamp and had to survive. Uh, and so out of that arose a culture that is based, uh, we have a French language, uh, we have our own music, we have our own cuisine, uh, we just have our own way of life. There's a, there's a theme to Cajun culture that doesn't exist really anywhere else in the world. Uh, Except so, for Cape Breton Island. 
Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, miles away yet worlds. Yeah, yeah worlds together. Yeah. So, um, so that's the cultural kind of context I grew up in, and I, I mentioned that just because um, everything in scripture for me is becoming cultural. I mean, it, it, we don't realize how strong culture is, and I think that's what the Word of God is speaking into. So, um, so my dad is a, a, a great, loving, giving man. Was never our spiritual leader. Uh, and so I, I want to be careful to honor him, and yet, you know, set it set it in the right context. Um, my mother had me in church every time the doors were open, um, and yet, as I kind of grew up, um, my dad is a musician, and so by the time I was in sixth, seventh grade, uh, I was playing on Friday and Saturday nights in little dive bars with him. And I'm not talking about nice clubs, you know. I'm talking about like beer bars, you know, yeah. people fighting and you know wives getting drug out by their hair and knives being pulled and I mean all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of the wild west in some some ways, you know. And we all we all fight Friday night and then we're best friends Saturday. So um, the so that's the kind of the context I grew up in. Uh, the uh, I mean I was drinking by the time I was in you know seventh eighth grades, you know something like that. I mean you know regularly, and that's just part of the way it is. Uh, and no, nobody sees it any differently. And yet my mom had me in church literally every Sunday morning, sometimes still drunk from the night before, sometimes with a hangover before, you know, from the night before. And I'm talking about eighth grade. Um, and so I, I kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, the, you know, so we grew up, I grew up Southern Baptist, small country, kind of really fundamental Southern Baptist church uh, where we didn't really, we didn't really, uh, now that I look back on it, we didn't really believe the Bible. We believed the statement of faith that was on the wall in the foyer when you walked in, you know, which is like our 10 points or whatever, 12 points. Um, and so that's kind of what, you know, discipleship training and all those things. Uh, and then I, uh, I, 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 so I kind of walked away, you know, away from God, if you want to say it like that. And then in high school, I really came back and, and I knew I had a, a call uh, you know, however we think about that, I, I knew I was supposed to do something for the kingdom from a really, really young age. Uh, but I just never really, I didn't fit in the Baptist church. I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, and so I met an evangelist when I was in high school. I started a praise and worship team, uh, and we ended up traveling all over the South. And it was a, a great few years, did youth camps and retreats and that kind of stuff. Kind of when, if you guys remember Mercy Me, um, when Mercy Me really kind of started coming out as a a praise and worship you know the baptist world had never seen anything like this it was revolutionary yeah. uh we didn't i didn't know we didn't know the pentecostals have been doing this for a hundred years you know but it was all new to us and so we kind of started at that same time and, and had a great great season of our lives and through that um i met we had a band with some a couple of uh pastor's kids that were full gospel right down the road from our church but we had never met them because in the Baptist church, anybody dealing with the quote-unquote spirit, you didn't deal with, you know, you didn't mess with those crazy people. Um, so they were going to put some kind of spirit on you or something, you know. Uh, so, so through them, I met an evangelist uh, who grew up uh, apostolic, Pentecostal, um, and was a world away from where I was. And uh, he had a revival one night at their church, and they said, you got to come. Their, their words were, we're tired of doing this old dead Baptist stuff. you got to come to one of our services. And, uh, and I was I literally, you know, it's so crazy because I was scared to death. You know what I mean? Like I, I with a righteous fear, like I thought God is going to, you know, he's going to curse me for this. Um, and so I went and, and this guy starts preaching. Of course, the worship is amazing. You know, the music is amazing. Uh, this guy starts preaching and he's sweating 
he's he's wearing a, a shirt and tie. He pulls his tie off, you know. And I mean, it's just like it's pandemonium for me. People are actually talking back to him, and all this stuff is just something I've never seen before. So they get to the altar service, and in the Baptist church, you you come walk the aisle and come to the front of the church for just a few reasons. If you want to get saved for the first time, if you want to be baptized, or if you want to move your letter of membership from one church to another, <laughs> that's the that's the reason you come to the altar. Uh, and in this little storefront church, I mean, a hundred people storm the altar, and then there's nobody in the chairs but me and the sound guy sitting behind me. We're the only ones out there, so I'm sitting against the wall, burying my head in the wall, hoping that nobody recognizes that I'm not at the altar. And and uh, Kelly, it was Kelly was his name, brother Kelly. Um, he moved in the gifts of uh, discernment and and word of knowledge really strongly. And he starts prophesying to people, and thus says the Lord, and, and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, God is going to, this guy's blaspheming. He, God's going to strike this place to the ground. And I'm sitting in here, you know, an innocent bystander, you know. And, uh, and, so, and so he, it, you know, he works the altar for, I don't know, maybe an hour. And I just sat there because I committed to be there. Uh, and all of a sudden, he stops everything and makes a beeline straight for me. And for about the next hour and a half, he sat with me and completely read my mail. I mean, completely <laughs> told me everything about myself and, you know, and counseled me. And it was amazing. So that began a, um, a, uh, a, a relationship that actually moved me from South Louisiana to DeRitter, Southwest Louisiana, which is a whole different country um, from where I grew up. Uh, and so I moved here and traveled with him for a couple of years, lived in his house. Uh, this is when uh, the book uh, God's Armor Bearer came out, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and so armor bearing was all the rage, and that was the key to the kingdom and life's blessings and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's how we twisted God's arm in those days to bless us. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, that so that was a big thing. So I lived with him. Uh, I did his laundry. I washed his car. I ironed his clothes. I kept his grass up. I cooked supper. I cleaned the kitchen. I did all that for about two years. Um, and and I and he taught me about the spirit and and things that I'd never learned. Uh, Kelly, uh, I say he moved in the gifts, and I don't mean flaky. I know there's a lot of perversion that happens there, so I want to clarify that. Kelly was the kind of person that was never married, never never had any desire to be. Uh, he would. We would eat supper and clean up, and about 8 o'clock he would say, okay, it's time to go pray. And so uh, we'd, he'd go, we'd go in the living room, and he'd get on his face, and he'd begin to pray. And, uh, and about 10 o'clock, I'd get tired. And so I'd go take a shower. I'd go to bed. I'd wake up at 6 the next morning, and Kelly had not moved from that place, and he had been praying all night. And I would go to work. I would do whatever I had to do, run errands. I'd come back you know, in the afternoon or whatever, and Kelly had not moved, not to eat. Not, maybe not even to go to the restroom. I don't know. And he would do that for days and days and days on end, um, you know, monthly, weekly. Uh, and it just is, I've never seen anything like it. And so when I say he moved in the gift, I would see him call people out of the blue that he's never even known. He would get a phone number in his head, in his spirit. He'd call and, and have a word from God for those people. I, again, I've never seen, and it was genuine. I've never seen anything like it. So from there, I came to work for the local church. Kelly got some health issues. So I came to work for the local church, and the, the pastor said, well, we, we have a youth, youth pastor position coming available. And I said, well, uh, I told my youth pastor when I left home, I'll never be a youth pastor. I, I, I was a teenager, and I didn't even like teenagers. Um, but it was an open, it was an open door to ministry, you know. And that's, I mean, I wanted to serve God, so I said sure. And um, so I served at that church for 15 years. Ended up serving 15 years uh, as the youth pastor, the largest 
uh, interdenominational church in town with kind of Pentecostal background. Um, and I met my lovely wife there. Uh, we married and uh, started a family. And about seven years into that journey, uh, I was I was up late one night. I don't sleep a lot. Um, and so I was up late one night really struggling. I was really at a crisis point in my faith. Um, the things that the, the church was teaching, I just... I didn't see, I didn't understand. Uh, the way we did ministry wasn't working. It was producing sick people instead of whole people, and they were making other people sick. Um, and it just, the, the business side of the church was nauseating to me. Um, I went through burnout several times, even as a young guy, and then was told, you're too young to go, to burn, go through burnout, you know, suck it up and, you know, pray more, whatever. And it just things were really toxic. And so I'd pretty much given up. Uh, and I mean, I admit this. My wife was running the youth ministry. I just showed up and gave like a 20-minute devotion every Wednesday night, sang a couple songs. Other than that, she did the events. She did, she did everything. Um, and, and thank God for her. She's been my, my rock. Um, and so I'd given up, and I was, uh, so I was surfing YouTube one night, and uh, I was looking at how to do like organic gardening and stuff. And up in my recommended video feed pops up a video by Michael Rood. And, you know, here's this guy dressed in the biblical garb, you know, quote, unquote, you know, and, all, and, and it, it's talking about the biblical diet. Now, I've been in church my whole life, and I've read through the, the what I call, used to call the Old Testament, the Tanakh, and I've read those scriptures, but they never made any sense to me. And in 27 minutes, God used that video to open my eyes to Torah. And it was, it was I didn't even know Torah was a word. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, and, right. and so it began this journey, and, and I think the next, like, 35 hours, I watched everything I could. Jim Staley, Brad Scott, Michael Rood, Rico, Bill Cloud, you know, I mean, all everything I could find that had anything to do with the Hebrew Scriptures, um, and it started this journey. My intention was always, to, I remember coming into the bedroom one night, my wife, she goes to bed at a decent time, not like me, and I, I remember coming in, it was about 10.30 one night, and I said, Heather, his name wasn't Jesus, and... <laughs> And I remember she barely lifted her head and pointed at the door and said, get out. I can't deal with you tonight. And so, so sl slowly we studied together, and, and, you know, and she, she uh, somehow had enough faith in my walk with God to, to, to join with me in this walk because um, I know a lot of people don't, and I'm, so I'm very fortunate for that. And so our intention was to stay at the church. I was kind of being groomed to be the next pastor uh, of the largest church in town, which is not a big town, but it's still a, a big deal. Um, and I, my intention was to stay. And eventually it got to where that relationship wasn't going to work anymore. Because um, when I would teach, not anything to me, but when I would teach from the Hebrew Scriptures, this, you know, recordings of the service went out like wildfire. I mean, people were so hungry for somebody to give them what is Kedusha, what is holiness, what are we expected from God? Not this, not this, you know, greasy grace, you're great, everything's great, you know, blah, 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 but what does the king expect from us? And, and the church is just not given that. Uh, not just my particular situation, the church at large, but people want to know, like a child wants boundaries. I believe we as adults in the kingdom, we want boundaries. We want to know what's off limits and, and what pleases God. So, um, so there began to be some jealousy and some stuff there, and so it just didn't work. So I started to pray, okay, God, where are we going? Tell us, tell us where we're going. And I didn't know if, if we were going to have like a Moses kind of journey or like an Abraham kind of journey. You know, like um, Abraham, God just said, hey, you know, leave, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and, you know, I, 
I've kind of take care of you along the way. And, 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 but Moses kind of knew where he was going. You know, he had been there before. He knew the area. He knew, he knew where, where Hashem was sending him. Um, and so I was like, okay, God, which one is this? I really would like for it to be Moses. Like, that would be really great, you know. Uh, and, and I sought counsel with, with some people that I really trusted. Uh, and everything would come up in conversation, you know, like, you know, I was thinking about Abraham the other day. And I was like, oh, man, come on. And so we just left and, uh, and tried to move out of the town where we were. Um, but my wife's family's here and, and all of that. And so we're grounded here. And so I just... So I looked up in the clouds one day and, and I said, God, I know I'm supposed to stay here, but the last thing that this place needs is another church. Uh, what people don't know about DeRitter, where we are, is that as of, uh, I think, uh, maybe five or six years ago, uh, our town was in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most churches per capita of any city in the nation. So a town of 11,000 people and there's over 150 churches. Um, and so I said, you know, God, the last place, the last thing this place needs is another church. And, and his words were very clearly, and I'm not hyper spiritual guys. I don't, you know, I don't think there's a, a spirit on every bush or, or whatever, but, um, his words were, were very clear that I'm not asking you to build a church. And to a guy that's only grown up in church, I had no idea what that meant. And so we started having Bible studies. Uh, we, my life. Uh, I, people say out of ashes, and they think, well, what does that have to do with the the phoenix? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even I don't even think about that. But for me, Psalm 1 has always been my grounding scripture. That's always been my favorite, especially the idea of the tree, which is so interesting because I love what Dina teaches about trees. It's been hugely helpful. Um, but the idea of being a tree that just stands there, it just is there, you know. Um, and so uh, Psalm 1, and, and I started to learn that, you know, Ash, ash is some of the most fertile, uh, produces some of the most fertile ground that there is. And so out of my life, which I felt like had been burned down by bad doctrine and toxic leadership and all that kind of stuff, a lot of church hurt. I mean, just call it what it is. Um, my life was in ashes because I, I don't have hobbies. You know what I mean? I, we don't we don't have hobbies. We don't we don't have a boat. We go to the lake. We don't have four wheelers that we go ride. We don't we don't do that. We our, our whole lives are consumed with the kingdom. That's just what we do. We eat, sleep, and breathe the scripture and, and ministry. Um, so my whole life was burned down around me, and I was thinking, what am I going to do? And, and so the name Out of Ashes, Heather had actually had this, this idea for this name and this dream several years ago when we were in youth ministry. So um, we decided we would call our new Bible study group Out of Ashes. And out of that, over the last uh, four or five years, has grown a, a congregation. Uh, we have people... Uh, not so much locally because everything's really territorial here, church-wise. Uh, but we have people that drive in from two hours away, you know, weekly, every other week, uh, just for fellowship. And and nothing, you know, again, nothing to me or, or anything that I'm doing because I got a lot of weaknesses that I'm trying to to figure out. But uh, just what God is doing and drawing the hearts of people from places we never, we don't even know exist. There's places in Louisiana I've never even heard of, and people go, yeah, I, I was praying one night, and, and God dropped Torah in my heart. I'm like, what? You know, it's, it's nuts. So anyway, I said I don't like talking about myself, but that was 20 minutes of me rambling about no, I'm, I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually enjoying what you're talking about because I think for a lot of us, and, and which leads me to a question, a lot of us, uh, you know, a lot of the folks, like you say, I, I've said this a thousand times, we have a community. We have a great big Roman Catholic monastery somewhere. We have a Lutheran church around the corner. There's always a Pentecostal somewhere. There's Baptist churches that are like 7-Elevens. And yet the problem 
that that all of those buildings have is that none of the people in there know each other respectively in the same community. And then all of a sudden God drops this tour stuff all over the planet and starts calling people out of the pews and say, listen, I want you to go back and see what I taught to the Israelites. And I want you to go back and see how I'm doing things even in your time. And so, Joe, having had all of these things happen to you, now you've got, and I always say, tour is not something we carry around in a suitcase, folks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so get rid of that whole concept. And what, what happens is we're always trying to fit something new into churchology. And yet the Father's saying, for all you people who've left the church and, and gone back to try to understand what I was doing with Moses or Abraham from their perspective, how has that little tiny nugget revolutionized your biblical narrative and understanding of the world today and you said out of ashes out of ashes did you ever in your life think that you would be talking about Torah and that Jewish stuff yeah yeah that's a great question and I, I think I made this statement a couple weeks ago um, and something that I think uh, we have to be mindful of that I know Jeff this has been your journey Dina this is this is a little bit we visited I think this is probably you can relate to this, probably your journey. When I came out of the church, um, I I didn't add Torah to my already Christian understanding. It's so, so you know, some when we when some people church hop, you know, and and this month they're Baptist and they take on the Baptist doctrine, and the next month they're Methodist. Well, they just carry the Baptist doctrine in that like a trash bag, and they grab another bag, you know, another lug piece of luggage called Methodist doctrine, and then they go Pentecostal, and then they carry, and they're holding all this stuff. I didn't do that when I when I left. I left everything. I didn't turn my back on God, you know, our our Messiah, um, but all the all of what I thought I understood, I left. And and our, our good friend Dina, you know him well, Matt Napper, uh, who's brilliant um, and, and a, a great guy. He said, "Joe, get a legal pad and write down every major doctrine that you can come up with, all the way from salvation to baptism to everything, and go through them one by one. And don't move on to the next one until you feel like you have a a biblical, a better, more helpful biblical understanding on that one." And so. I have to realize that my 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 journey has been different than a lot of people because a lot of people come into Torah as a, the new thing, and they just try to squeeze it in and fit it in. They try to fit Jesus into every rock that is mentioned in the in the Tanakh um, instead of starting over and letting. And I, I came up with this saying. I like it. May not be very good, but it helps me. Um, that we've always been taught to apply God's word to our lives. And yet I like to think of it that we should be applying our lives to yes. God's Word. Amen. Because if we, if we apply His Word to our lives, then we can mold His Word to where it fits our lives. But right. we have, if we apply ourselves to it, then we have to be the ones that are molded. We have to be the ones that are, that are, are you know, reshaped. Um, so, so changing the, the, the thing. And for me, Torah, Jeff and Dina, is not about laws and rules. Thank you. Right, those things are a vehicle to show the character of God. Now, for me personally, I'll just say this: I, my, my family, we live a more uh, traditional Jewish lifestyle as far as 
you know, kosher as much as we can in South Louisiana. Uh, you know, but you know, the things but so many of the quote unquote traditions that the mainstream Hebrew roots movement balks against, um, we we actually do, but we know why we do them. We understand where they come from. Uh, and for me, I love I love the I love the, the the Torah in the the applicable sense because it keeps me grounded. You know what I mean? It I don't think I, I don't if you don't want to wear tzitzit, that's fine. Don't wear tzitzit. But for me, um, it, it's a it's a grounding. Those physical commandments are a grounding, and and that doesn't mean it's all about them, but they're they're always pointing us back to the Father. So as as a tool, um, and so it's transformed the way I see Scripture as a whole. For the first time in my life. I see Genesis 1 and Revelation 21, and now it's just about filling in the blanks. And that's what Dina, that's why you're working, and you know, you guys like you and Ryan and Rico and Jeff, what you're doing is so important because you're connecting those dots between there's a garden in the beginning and a garden in the end. And there's a man called Adam in the beginning and a man you know, called Yeshua in the end. So where where does that leave us? What's our role in this, and what are we expected to be doing in this time right now? Well, I appreciate it because what we've not done is look at things uh, from a big-picture perspective. And right. this is what I am absolutely bent on. I, I mean, I didn't realize that's where I was going, but I, I began to see things in a larger context in in the big-picture and I think it's critical because we have created entire denominations and doctrines on one verse taken out of context, and we have beaten that thing to death and forced everybody into that mold. And then when you step back and you see, you know, the whole story, like we need to see the whole story. So I'm excited uh, when you, sh you know, you're, the ministry you've been doing with your teachings in Genesis is doing that very thing. And I think the more people can see the big picture and not get caught in the weeds, you know, and stuck in the forest, uh, it'll, have, it'll have much more of an impact on their lives. It'll make more sense. Uh, to me, I'm all about, okay, how does, how does the Bible make sense? Because we know full well, lots of it doesn't. So I'm excited about the work you're doing because as you've been going through, through Genesis, you're trying to help your congregation make sense of things that have just been thrown at them for, you know, generations. And we just go with it because we're supposed to. So I like young guys who are willing to upend <laughs> the apple cart and, uh, you know, push the envelope and, and push the boundaries. I think it's great. You know, a couple of, uh, when we first started our fellowship, I, I got to be uh, connected with Joe Good, which everybody listening should know if you don't find out a way to get to, to know about Joe and his ministry. Um, and, uh, I mean, Joe is an absolute legend. I mean, you know, he, he, he's forgotten more than, than the three of us put together will ever know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I tell people all the time about Joe and Debbie that um, more than what they know is who they are. Right. Um, they are incredible people of character and just they're the image of God. I mean, for my wife and I, they're just but we had Joe to out of ashes several times to teach about the temple because I understood that the temple thing is serious um, right. and it's central. Um, but I noticed our people weren't ready because they couldn't place the temple. They couldn't right. place. They're still in this. Well, we're the temple thing, you know, and, and, and so why is it important? But but seeing the temple in the garden, Dina. And then seeing the temple in Noah and seeing it with, with Abraham and see, uh, it, now we've gotten to a place where when we get to the wilderness and God says, make me a Mishkan that I may dwell, 
it's like, oh, they're recreating Eden. And, and, now, and now we can talk about the sacrifices and temple service, and it's like, oh, this is all restoring our Kedusha. This is all bringing Eden back to earth. That, that's what this is all about. This is a vehicle to get to Revelation 21, right? Exactly. This is, this is a point, a dot in the plan. And it, it just opens up the entire, the entire thing. It opens up a whole new world of learning. Yeah, you? and you know, oh, well, let me just get, you know, I'm, yeah. I kind of met Joe in the early 90s. And uh, I'm, I don't even remember how we connected, but I started studying under him. And what I, what I came to realize later is I personally don't know that I would be able to see things the way I see them had I not studied the technical, physical structure all those years. It was the thing that I used to build off. It was a springboard for me. And if, if I didn't understand all that, and I know, you know, for some it's like, oh, it's minutia, these measurements, oh, oh. but it was, it was the very thing that was necessary for me to be able to do what I do now. And so I just, you know, the father, and he, you know, he kind of laid the journey out in front of me without me even knowing where I was going. But I went, and I, what a blessing. And, and it, you know, Joe was just instrumental, obviously. No one on the planet knows more. Uh, than, than he does. So what a, what a blessing. Uh, Jeff, what were you going to say? Well, I met Joe uh, in two, he was in Love for Israel. I think it was 2008 or 2009. In fact, I think it was 2009 because that's what Joe thought. And uh, I wasn't getting what he was talking about at all. I was like sitting in the audience going, okay, well, we're the temple. You know, it just wasn't connecting for me. Yeah trying to understand this. And then I begin to see something through you, Dina, and, and others, but uh, primarily through you, that each one of these doorways, they all lead you back to that temple complex, that temple structure. And I began to see something. I was interviewing uh, Daniel McGurr, and while I was talking to him, something was dropping into my spirit. And I, was, I began to realize, oh, my gosh, we're not different from the ancient world, we're a product of it. And the more that I begin to see the governmental system of the kingdom of God, I begin to see the governmental systems that he is literally the authority over in every nation on the planet. And I began to take those ancient scriptures and that ancient understanding and see it everywhere in our nation and, and in the world. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, the kingdom of God is here. It's here. Amen. And I begin to realize, Lord, you're here. You're <laughs> literally here. You're in Jerusalem. And it's, this whole thing started going, oh, my gosh, we're so disconnected from the authority of the king, in particularly through the churches, that we don't recognize that he is literally controlling and manipulating and offering to all of humanity life-giving wisdom. Even now, he hasn't gone anywhere. His kingdom is us, and we're, we're so disconnected from understanding how Moses understood this, how Joshua understood this, how the disciples understood this. We, we tend to, and folks, this is so critical we tend to superimpose our Western theological dogmas on the disciples. And I will say over and over and over again, this is why I loved your, your uh, thing last week, Joe, 
is if the disciples were sitting in any church on the planet, they would wonder what we were, they would be wondering what in God's name are we talking about? And the problem is we don't have that kind of understanding that they have. So it's it's so messed up. And Dina, you said the big picture. When I started seeing the temple and understanding the presence of God is here and understanding that the first day and the first night was simply the introduction of time and that mountains weren't necessarily mountains and trees weren't necessarily trees and seas weren't necessarily seas. And I began to understand what personification was and how they wrote mythologically and there was no science. And I went, oh, my goodness, if I can see this through their lens, this makes more sense than every church I've ever been in, and yet the churches don't know this. And then, of course, then John Walton pops into my world, <laughs> and um, he completely, completely gives me the parameters to work within. The, uh, John Walton said, and this is something uh, you, you talked a little bit about, Dina, the scholarly world does not filter down to the pews. And, Joe, I like what you said when you talked about how the pastors are the ones that were the processors, you know, that actually gave me a little bit of hope to hear that because the academic world and the pastoral world are disconnected. Yeah. And yet when I'm talking to John Walton and I said, well, John, what do you think of this? And he goes, hey, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not a, I'm not a theologian. And I was going, huh? It was kind of <laughs> short-circuited. <laughs> Jeff, I'm a biblical linguist. I look at the ancient languages. I spent 40 years writing and studying, and then I started looking at Sheila Graham, Christine Hayes, and, and some of the folks that Dean has introduced me to, and I'm going, these people have one subject that they've studied for 40 years. Right. The more, the more that I started looking at the academic world, the more I realized these people are saying the same things, and the church is, doesn't even know what they're talking about. And so I think that in a way, and I'm praying for this, that those two worlds are going to merge. And I think that, like Dina says, for some of you younger guys, because I'm in my 60s, Dina's in her 60s, but the younger people, maybe this is what God is doing to restore us back to a kingdom understanding of the Bible, a temple understanding, instead of a religious understanding of the Bible. Joe, Joe and you talked about this last yeah. week. I was doing cartwheels in my living room listening to you, because that's kind of the heart and soul of your Genesis series. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. We've got about uh, a little less than 15 minutes left in the broadcast. So the Genesis series that you've been working on and, and teaching your congregation now or sharing with your congregation since, I think, January. Tell us a little bit about how that all percolated. Yeah, so uh, thank you. I, I uh, And again, 15 minutes, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, this stuff fires me up so, so much because, like you said, for the, John Walton said the Bible was written uh, for us but not to us, which is a quote everybody ought to write on their bathroom mirror, on their rearview mirror in their car, on their refrigerator or wherever, and just let it sink into your spirit. Um, the whole what I wanted, what I'm trying to accomplish in this Genesis series is um, is to to really it's an identity series. It's really an, a search for identity. Well, are we a lost tribe, or which tribe are we? Are we have all these discussions, all these crazy things about trying to find our DNA, and, and that's all well and good. But but who are we? 
and what are what is expected of us. You know, we've made the Bible, and I believe in a spiritual, I believe in supernatural. I would be very careful to say that. I shouldn't have to, but I do. But we've made the Bible so spiritual that we've we've um, we've relegated all of our responsibility to the quote unquote spiritual, and just we we give it all to God, give it all to Jesus, and He'll do everything. And yet, that I think that flies in the face of the biblical narrative. Um, you know, in dealing with this coronavirus and talking about ordering chaos, ordering chaos to me is 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 basically the gospel, uh, in in a nutshell. Um, in all of the we are we are seeing the epitome of chaos, right, in our world today. As disciples of Yeshua, as as Bnei Israel, our number one job, our identity is to represent God, to show people who God is, to be the image of God that we are called before sin was ever a thing. That identity and to bring order to someone's chaos. If that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. That that's literally it. Which whether that means watching someone's children while they have to go to work, or giving canned goods, or doing it's literally that simple. And so through this Genesis series, we've been trying to 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 give. I, I said this the other day that I'm realizing that continuity has been like gasoline on the the fire of my faith. Seeing the Bible in continuity. And, and the continuity that's in it, because I always kind of understood the Bible as, well, you have this creation thing, and then you have this Adam thing, and this garden thing, and they're not really create, you know, they're not really connected. And then you have this, this Cain and Abel thing, who knows what that's about. And then you have these giants, and, you know, and we're trying to do DNA testing on Netflix to see if they're spiritual DNA, and all this just nutty stuff. And, and we focus on the, we read about giants, and we focus on giants. And that's not the point, for me, that's not the point of the passage at all. You know, we read about Noah and we go like, that's another different story. And God is, it's like God has been caught off guard by the, the evil of humanity. and He's trying to catch up. And, and we see these things as different compartmentalized stories. And we go, well, how big was the boat? And, and we, we're so worried about stuff that just, it's not the point of the story, guys. But the way we read it, that's what we focus on. And in that, we, we're losing identity by not, by not seeing the contiguous story and what Hashem is doing, what God is doing throughout the whole thing. I hadn't even gotten to the Gospels yet because that's, I mean, Dina, you know, Jeff, you know, that, that's the money ball. You know what I mean? That's the thing. But, but even in that, Paul said, and many people misquote this verse, that Yeshua is the last Adam. Not the second Adam, the last Adam, which tells you what? There's a spectrum of Adams in between, right? But then it doesn't stop with Yeshua. I know the book's all about Yeshua. I get that, yes. But just like it doesn't stop at the temple, it doesn't stop at the Torah, those things should point us further on to the right. rest of the journey. And right. so my, my goal is to say, well, Yeshua said that we would do the things he did and greater. Well, but if we don't understand why he did what he did, why he said what he said, who, what was he trying to accomplish as the last Adam which you have to go all the way back to Genesis to figure out and work your way through all the other atoms, then you get to Yeshua and you go, okay, no, so then he gave us this identity, this responsibility, so then what are we supposed to do with it? Are we supposed to sit in a Shabbat fellowship crew, uh, you know, pew or chair? Are we supposed to go to temple? Con I mean, what do we do with that? Um, and, and I said yesterday, when people are asking where is God, it's because the kingdom believers, us, 
it's because we have, have relegated our responsibility. We're not there, so people can't see God, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what we expect when we, when, we, when we ask God to show up in a situation, in this chaos. I don't know what we expect to see. But for me, understanding Genesis and through this series and understanding what God did through men, what I expect when I say, where's God, it means that there's no believers representing him. That's, it's, it's not real supernatural. It's the fact that, that, that you know, and the whole idea that, uh, that we're not getting up out of here and going anywhere at the quote-unquote rapture. The, the Bible is not training for leaving this earth. The Bible is training to bring heaven to this earth. Amen, that, bro. Those, those concepts, Jeff and Dina, you guys know, you've been talking about it longer than I have. Those are fundamental, and they are absolutely paradigm-shifting. And it puts the onus back on us absolutely. to actually be disciples and be citizens of the kingdom. I've got a book in mind I've had for 20 years called The Citizen. I don't even know how to write a book. I don't know how to start. I, I don't know where it goes, but it's something that I need to do. But how do we be a citizen of the kingdom? Because ultimately... The earth is going to be renewed, whatever. We're going to be here, and we've got to figure out how to do this thing here, and we have to teach people who think they're going to heaven how to exist here when, when the kingdom comes here in an actual physical governmental form. And yeah. the temple, the Torah, the garden, all those things, I think, are God's way of training us to live in the presence of a holy God. And that's the whole the whole message. So I mean, I could talk for another you know several hours. We could, but that's kind of the whole thing about the Genesis series. And we have it. I'll just say real quick: we live stream our services on our website and on, to live stream on Facebook. And then on Sunday mornings, usually I upload just the teaching part to YouTube. So if you don't have Facebook and you're on YouTube, you can find it there. Uh, and it also goes an archive on our website, and it also goes to a, a mobile app that we have for our ministry, and it also goes to iTunes. So anywhere you could, you should be able to throw a rock and hit our information, you know, some somewhere somehow. Because I believe that it. I'm not trying to build a name for myself. This message is that important. This is the kingdom message. Without this. Uh, the the knowledge of God ceases from the earth, in my opinion. Amen. Well, I and I, I wanted to add because I don't know I don't remember what you said last week because I did listen to your broadcast. Jeff insisted that I do so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. it. Was a nice way to spend uh, my Sunday. I think something you said sparked for me, and this is what's so what is often missing. Because if we do all have a similar foundation, and when we're sharing with one another, somebody can say something, and you know, bango, you you know, just yeah. all these pieces come together where you never even. So we were talking about the idea of the kingdom uh, of heaven, quote unquote, coming to earth, and then you, if you think about this, the structure of the kingdom, uh, sort of physically, would have been like the mountain, and you know, in the ancient world. Uh, on top of the mountain was where the temples were located and the God, and that was considered to be heaven. So if you went up the mountain into Mm. the temple, you entered into heaven. But the idea was then to bring it to earth, right? So if you think about a mountain, uh, you know, that sort of fixed point that's uh, a permanent thing, solid, permanent, you know, you ain't ain't moving it. Unshakable, yeah. And shakable. So we look at the garden, it was structured that way as a mountain, right? It's not, you know, we know it's a mountain. And then we move from that to something mobile in, 
in the ark. So, you know, Noah's in the ark, and now we have a... Mo so we move from permanent to temporary to mobile, but we move from heaven to earth, if you will. And then when, you know, we jump ahead to Sinai, we see the same thing happen. With Sinai, the mountain, Moses on top in the temple, that's the permanent thing. But now God wants to take that from heaven to earth, and so now we have a tabernacle, a mobile tabernacle on earth that's going to move the kingdom mobily. Spread and the then kingdom. we move to, to Zion, Zion, where a, a temple is built on top of Mount Zion, the structure, the permanent. But then what happens? It moves from heaven to earth into Yeshua as a movable, moving mobile tabernacle to spread that through, you know, through the earth once again. So it's always about taking it from heaven to earth. And the earthly part's the mobile part because it can spread. So all yes. that, I, my brain just went, da -da 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 -da, <laughs> because it's something that you said last week that I don't even remember what it was. Well, I know that, uh, that uh, and Jeff, give us the sign when it's time to, to, to cut out because we'll just geek out all day. But the idea that Adam wasn't supposed to leave the garden to spread order, he was supposed to take the garden with him and, and, and that's something I got from Walton. Um, and, and that idea, Dina, is that, and then so Yeshua then gives it to us. Right, you know, and, exactly. And so we have pockets of Eden all over the earth. And that's, if we understand that and produce that, then, then God is present in the, whole, in the whole earth. I mean, it's just, yeah. I, it blows my mind. It gives me goosebumps. It's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the other thing, too, is every single government on the face of the earth is a facsimile of something that came out of Hashem's mind. The problem is we treat the governments as though they're our own personal tabernacle as opposed to his tabernacles. And so we, we, we're doing the same thing the ancient world did because there was only one God, and yet when the person would go into that mountain temple and he'd come out and act as though he was the God, and then he would dictate terms, that's what the problem is with the governments of the earth. The governments of the earth all belong to God, and yet the leadership in those, those governments do exactly what the ancient tyrants, and, and not necessarily everybody's a tyrant, but we go out and we, we come out, and instead of representing the temple of God, the government of God, we raise up our own understanding. Well, that's we because we all become corrupt. The yeah. nature of humankind is to become corrupt. And so that's what we're always dealing with. Well, yeah. we're, we're, we're really literally out of time here, folks. And, uh, Joe, I want to thank you for, for joining us. Yeah. And also, I want to put something out here because I know Joe and I have talked about some stuff, and I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. But this little tiny um, uh, group of people in DeRitter, Louisiana, is growing. And I, I was watching you last week and this week, and I'm going, Father, you've got something going on big here. So I don't really think you have to stress out at all because I think you're in good, comfortable hands. But at the same time, God told us to go out and, and to, to occupy. And I know that you guys are needing to do that. You need to do some things. And so, uh, folks, if you want to support this ministry, those of you, and particularly those of you who join us each week all over the world, um, it's time to open up your wallets and open up your purses and kind of help and pour into this ministry because of some exciting things that are happening. Uh, and, of course, the thing I love about you, Joe, is your humility. 
And as we were talking last night, I was listening to the humility that you had as you try to figure out what our great God is trying to do in Dorito, Louisiana, and how can you participate. So I would just ask people to go to um, outofashesministries.org, I think it's .org, yep. and uh, you know, pour into this ministry. If you are on board with the conversation that we have here, I'm returning to Eden, and on board with what Joe has done through Genesis, and certainly on board with Dina Dye's work, uh, then this is, a, this is a person who is pivotal in, in catapulting this message all over Louisiana. So it's time for us to show into his ministry. So I would encourage you to go there and make a donation, make a contribution, support the work that they're doing down there, because they're busting at the seams, folks. And uh, it's just time for us to, to, to be family. Like you said uh, yesterday, it's time for us to go represent. You said something. And I'll close on this note, guys. You said your salvation is actually your activation as a citizen of the kingdom. I've been using that ever since I heard you utter those words in one of the Genesis series. Your salvation doesn't mean you get to sit back and listen to the next sermon. Your salvation means that you now need to participate in the kingdom activity of bringing forward the word of God to the folks. And I always say, folks, Amen. You do absolutely nothing, then absolutely nothing is getting done by you, and you're worthless to the kingdom. So God always uses us to do what he wants us to do, and he often asks us to open up our purses and our wallets to help it get it done. And I would ask you folks to do the same thing for this little tiny ministry that's in the heart of the most churched area in the nation, spreading the Torah to the community. May I add, it was a much better investment than toilet paper. Good <laughs> <laughs> Joe, on that the best endorsement I could get. <laughs> thank you, uh, Pastor Joe Armand of Out of Ashes, thanks, Joe. Louisiana. We appreciate you joining us. Keep up the good work, and I love the fact that I have a fellow citizen. Which, by the way, I want to come to Dorito, Louisiana. So if the door opens, I'm coming, just because I feel like part of your family. Amen. And I want to meet some of the folks there, okay? Thank you, guys. Thank you. God bless you guys. Have a great, great, great day. And we'll be doing this uh, whenever we have time again. <laughs> I think <laughs> we're going to have a lot of time, Jeff. Yeah, that's right, because, <laughs> because this virus is going to go on. And the humanity's at risk, folks. God bless you guys. Thank right. you for God joining bless. us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.